Welcome to Great Commission Conversations, a program where we engage in conversation with Bible-believing Christian workers who are serious about getting the gospel around the world. I'm Lee Cadenhead, an assistant pastor at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Carthage, Tennessee, and your host for this Great Commission Conversation. In discussing the Great Commission, we typically emphasize foreign or cross-cultural missions, and there are a number of reasons for this, but it is always important that we keep in mind that missions is not an either-or proposition. It's not either local outreach or international evangelism and church planting. The Great Commission is a both-and endeavor, as in being witnesses unto Christ both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. If we believe that God loved the world, it should be obvious that wherever we live is part of that world. If we are sincerely interested in preaching the gospel to every creature, it should be obvious that some of those creatures live where we live, speak our language, and share our culture. In other words, the task of the local church in obeying the Great Commission includes sowing the seed in our Jerusalem, wherever that may be. My guest today is Pastor James Knox, and Brother James has been personally sowing the seed and leading others to do the same for over 40 years. Brother James pastors of the Bible Baptist Church in DeLand, Florida, a church that has maintained a great zeal for doing just about anything that they can to get the gospel out in their Jerusalem and beyond. In this conversation, Brother James and I discuss public ministry, and we take some time to interact with the question of whether the public proclamation of the gospel does any good. The anecdotes and personal illustrations that Brother James relates are worth a listen, but the underlying principles are vital to right thinking about the local church's role in obedience to our Lord's command that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in His name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. With that introduction, let's get into the conversation with Brother James Knox on sowing the seed of the Word of God. Brother James, our topic today is sowing the seed, uh, local outreach, public evangelism, and the evangelistic efforts of the Bible Baptist Church in the land have provoked me over the years, as I know it has many others. It's a regular occurrence there to have a small army of faithful believers to don their signature red Jesus Save shirts and deploy to the highways and hedges to confront people where they're at with the gospel. And you've been involved in public ministry in some form for a, for a, a long time. Uh, as a young Christian, I'm wondering how you got started in public ministry. Great question, brother. Uh, it seems to me that somewhere along the way, we shifted evangelism from the believer to the pastor, and we shifted evangelism from outside the church to inside the church. It looked to me my first time or two reading through the New Testament that the church was the place where saved people came to fellowship, worship the Lord, be taught uh, the truths of the Bible, and then they went out from the church and proclaimed the gospel and told others about Jesus. I was I was not in a church like that when I got saved, but I was blessed to be discipled by a man who saw the the New Testament in that way. I remember the the night that I met him. I'd been saved about uh, four or five weeks, and we were talking in the church lobby. And he said, do you want to go out witnessing? And I said, I don't know what that is. Is that something we're supposed to do? And he said, yes. And 
Uh, so that was on a Thursday night. On Friday night, we went out uh, to a public place in our town where people gathered and just started walking up to people and and uh, asking them if they knew Christ as their Savior. And, and it just sort of took off from there. Our church had the obligatory track rack, and I, it seemed like that was just like in most churches part of the decorations. I don't think the tracks were ever taken and given to anyone, but they were there in case somebody wanted to do it. And I had it, there was a very large uh, art festival in our town, the public park, and I remember saying to uh, to that man that was discipling me, I said, why don't we take those tracks and go to that art show and give them out? And he said, well, let's ask the pastor if it's okay. And the pastor said it was okay. And we asked if he wanted to go. And he said, no, but <laughs> but we we went and a, and a couple of men from the church went with us. And so that was, that was how we got started um, giving out gospel tracts. And then uh, it, it's, it's just odd, brother. I, I, I grew up in this in this town where I got saved, and there was one traffic light in the town where U.S. Highway 1 intersected with State Road 44, and I thought, why don't I just make myself a, a sign on a sheet of um, poster board that says Jesus saves and just go stand there and smile and wave at people that are uh, stopped at that red light? And I, I didn't know that public ministry was a thing or street preaching was a thing. It just seemed like uh, it'd be fun to get out there and do that. And then the evenings, I had a bicycle with a basket on it, and I just put my Bible and some tracks in that uh, basket and just ride around town looking for people I could talk to about Jesus. So it really, it wasn't anything that I ever um, was told to do. It wasn't uh, the influence of a pastor because our, our church was really uh, sound in doctrine, but they didn't do anything with it other than just come to church. So uh, I just I just thank the Lord that he put it in my heart when I got saved. I was so convinced that it was real that I wanted everybody else to know about it. And I guess I've kind of been surprised since then that, that everybody doesn't feel the same way about it. <laughs> Well, while you might not have had that kind of encouragement from church leadership, you have certainly had an opportunity in your years in the ministry to lead others to be fishers of men. And uh, for, from that, you, you really got bit with the bug of evangelism. Uh, it, it seems it, you still take a lot of joy in it and participate in it uh, in, a regular, in, in a regular way, on a regular basis. Uh, what are some of the staple local outreaches that have developed at the Bible Baptist Church there in Deland that are uh, maybe some in some events that are that have that have developed, I guess, periodically and then the more regular ongoing uh, outreach ministries that the church has? OK, but uh, Acts chapter 20, uh, the apostle Paul uh, spoke about how he went about um, building churches uh, and, and think about those days of the book of Acts. Think of going to a city like Nashville or a city like Orlando. Those are the largest cities near where you are, where I am. And there's not one Christian there. And there, there is nobody there that knows Jesus Christ. Now, you can't invite people to church because there is no church. And you can't try to build on disgruntled people leaving one church and coming to another church. You, 
you have got to start from absolute zero. And they did. And they built churches. So I'm kind of off track a little bit, but the idea that uh, these methods don't work is refuted by the Bible or that Things are, things are so difficult today that you can't reach people the way you used to. There is no way it's more difficult to, be, uh, to build a church today than it was in Corinth or Ephesus or Sardis or one of those places. I mean, they had oh, nothing, nothing, to, nothing to work from. So, yeah, and if, even historically, if people think that, oh, well, Nashville's wicked and Orlando's wicked, they, they might want to read a bit of history and <laughs> find out the context that the early church got started in. Deland, Florida is not called by the Holy Spirit Satan's seat. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, sure. and they got a church started there. So, so anyway, in Acts 20, he said that, that they went, they, to, they preached the word of God publicly and from house to house. So one appears to be a very um, one-on-one type situation, and the other appears to be a, a very group type situation. So what we have tried to do is we have um, uh, church-organized uh, or church-sponsored times during the week when we go door-knocking, and we have church-sponsored and church-organized times during the week when we go to uh, public places where the uh, anywhere where there'll be a large number of people, uh, either uh, foot traffic, vehicle traffic, uh, we also make sure that if there is any large-scale event in our town that we are there with, with gospel tracts and uh, attempting to witness one-on-one. So examples of that would be we, uh, we do organized visitation. Here's a neighborhood. We're going to knock on doors in that neighborhood. Uh, here's the main intersections in our town. Uh, we're going to be there Friday afternoon. People are, are leaving work. That's the highest traffic time of the week. Um, we go to the boardwalk area on the beach in Daytona, Saturday evenings, nightclub district in Orlando, Saturday evenings. So those are consistent regular ministries. Um, if there is a race at the Daytona Speedway, we're there. If there's a fireworks show on the 4th of July, we're there. If there's a homecoming parade through downtown, uh, we're there. And so what we want to do, or what we wanted to do, set out to do uh, starting 30-some years ago when we started the church, is Bible Baptist Church witnessing for Jesus Christ is going to be a part of every event organized by our town and the towns round about us. And uh, give you a couple of uh, things that are that are kind of funny along those lines. When we are giving out tracts on the 4th of July at the fireworks show, we frequently have people say, good to see you, see you at the Christmas parade. (laughs) Because they they know we're going to be there and and they know why we're there. And and we've established that. The city of DeLand, uh, many years ago, they drew a an advertising map. Uh, they hired an artist to do it. It's a cartoon type map, but it, it shows all the main streets in land and the different advertisers would buy uh, a spot on there to identify their business. And these were, these were sold and, and distributed all throughout land. on that map. The artist drew 
a guy with a Bible preaching on the intersection in downtown Deland where we've been street preaching since 1985. We are we, we are that much a part of of the city. And, and I do I think that's a great thing. I think it's a great testimony for the Lord. Um, in addition to that, we're in we're in the jails uh, consistently, we're in the prisons consistently, juvenile detention center. We are in in uh, most not all, but all the area nursing homes that we can go into, we're in there uh, holding uh, services on a weekly basis. We're on the radio. We're using bumper stickers. We, for our time, we're doing uh, billboards along the highways. Our, our purpose is twofold. We want everyone in our town to know the gospel. We don't expect everyone to get saved. We want everyone in our town to know the gospel. And we want people on a daily basis to have to think about Jesus Christ. We want them to be confronted with Jesus Christ. Now, what, what a lot of your listeners are going to say, and, and we're, we're programmed to say this, I don't know if it's the flesh, I don't know if it's... Um, uh, ministers who don't want their people getting too excited, but the question always comes, well, what fruit does it bear, or does it do any good, or uh, a different type question is, uh, don't you think this drives people away? So let's answer the first one. In in your town, in our town, somewhere on a main street is a man who has opened a business, he's running a restaurant, and he's serving Italian food. And he puts a sign in front of his business identifying that establishment as a place where you can come and get Italian food. The vast majority of people who drive past that business and see that sign do not stop, will never stop, they're not looking for Italian food. If they're looking for Italian food, it's not from a, 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 a local guy they've never heard of. They're going to go to Olive Garden and get American food with Italian sauce. They're, they're, they're not looking for Italian food. But he's got that sign out there in hopes that if someone drives by who's looking for Italian food and who is hungry, they will say, look, that's where I can get it. Nobody finds fault with him for doing that. That's just how business operates. Now, I'm not, I'm not making the church a business, but our purpose with a bumper sticker on a car or Jesus saves on a T-shirt or knocking on a door or mailing a flyer to someone's uh, mailing address, we don't expect everybody in town to get saved. We're, we're letting the person who is under conviction, who is lonely, who's depressed, who wants to go to heaven and not to hell but doesn't know how to get there, we want them to know this is where you can find salvation. This is where you can, can get the gospel. And now the, the other question of the flip side of that is, don't you think you're driving people away? You can't drive someone away from a place they've never been. <laughs> right. if, sure. if, if somebody's saved 
and I insult them from the pulpit and they leave the church, I have driven them away. But someone who's dwelling in darkness, who belongs to Satan, who is going to end up in hell, I can't drive them away. They are away. And so, yeah. so I, I think that's a really uh, poor argument. Now, uh, the, the aspect of what good does it do? Um, you get that about street preaching. You get that about door knocking. You get that about track passing. I, I would say to you that there are who knows how many ads a day there are for Budweiser beer. Sure. I don't know what their advertising budget is. It's got to be billions and billions of dollars. And yet, I see almost everyone I come in contact with when I see them, they're not drunk and they're not drinking Budweiser beer. Right, right. So what what good does it do for Budweiser to do all that advertising? Well, they know it does enough good to make it worthwhile. And how much, how much more should we let people know about salvation through Jesus Christ, whether they respond to it or not, whether they will hear or whether they forbear? That's, that's on them. That's not on us. Well, and maybe this, is not the, maybe this is not the right main question, what good does it do? Maybe the first question, and it's not that we don't want to be effective. That, the reason that you go to the places that you go to evangelize is because there are people there. Sure. <laughs> uh, but, but the first question is, what does the Lord want us to do? Absolutely. Not what good does it do? We can become so utilitarian that we adopt a, a, this contemporary megachurch philosophy where we're more interested in what sociologists and marketing you know, gurus think about the proper method of building a church and getting our message out. But the, the, the issue is not branding. The issue is not marketing. The issue is gospel faithfulness and what our marching orders are from our captain. And if we're not doing anything, then we're disobedient regardless of what good we are doing or are not doing. Sure. And, and the answer that, that we give to these, uh, it, it's, it's almost always prefaced by, I'm a Christian, but <laughs> I don't think you should be doing this. What good does it do? And the, the answer is, the good was done at Calvary. The good has already been done. We're not out here to do something good. We're out here to tell you about something good that has been done. One of the most discouraging things when I became involved, and of course I was I was raised in church, never in churches that were engaged in any public way in trying to get the gospel out. Uh, my the the in the churches that I was acquainted with in my youth, uh, evangelism was limited to let's invite somebody to church. That was the extent of it. I, sure. I'd never heard of public ministry. I can't remember anybody in my town growing up in the panhandle of Florida that wore a sandwich sign, that preached publicly. I can't recall, and I'm not saying that this wasn't present, but I can't recall ever seeing anybody giving out tracts. I was unaware of it. Right. What, what was shocking to me when I became involved in public ministry and in tract distribution, in, in being at public events and standing on a street corner and distributing literature and preaching publicly, what was shocking to me is that the opposition that I encountered was not generally from lost people that hated Jesus. It was from people that professed to love Jesus, but just wanted to love him in silence in the safety of their sanctuaries 
and not be troubled about the gospel outside of a church context. That was, to be honest with you, uh, in my naivete and in, <laughs> in getting started in public ministry, that was alarming that the that the confrontations were with people that professed to love God and professed to believe some of the things that we were preaching. They just didn't want us to preach them out loud outside of church. Well, for several reasons, but the main reason is your. Let let's say let's say you come to a little downtown area and you're giving out gospel tracts outside a place where this man works, and he's a Christian but he's never witnessed to the people he works with. They walk in and say, what do you think about those crazy religious fanatics out there giving, trying, to, no, trying to shove these pieces of paper down my throat? Now, <laughs> right. now that Christian has to either witness himself or deny the Lord. So he would rather you not be out there witnessing because it puts him in a position where he has to do one of two things, neither of which he wants to do. Sure. So they just rather everybody just, well, as, as they yell uh, when they drive by, keep it in the church. That's what they want. Now, the other thing is, that's happened as a result of what you said, that evangelism is inviting people to church. If evangelism is inviting people to church and... and I don't want to paint with too broad a brush here, but the Southern Baptist Convention went this way, and and you you know what's left of that. The Independent Baptist churches are have gone this way or are going this way, and we're seeing what's becoming of them. If the church is a place I bring my unsaved friends and neighbors so they can hear the gospel and walk the aisle and get saved, well, praise the Lord. But after sitting in that church for 20 years, I have not been taught the Bible. I have heard 20 years of evangelistic sermons and, and salvation appeals. And as a result, we've got churches full of faithful, faithful church-attending people who don't know the Bible and don't know how to live the Christian life because all they've really heard is, we're going to have a big uh, attendance push. Uh, bring your friends. We're going to cook some hot dogs. We're going to have a juggler, and and we're going to get people down the aisle. And you know, it, it's all great if people get saved, but I don't read in my Bible that that was the purpose of the New Testament church. So so that that's hurt us. Now, the other the other way it's hurt is. If the church is a place where lost people come and get saved, then we really only need a pastor, and if the church is long enough, large enough, an assistant pastor, and a couple of musicians, and a soloist or a quartet. Those are the only people who need to be actively involved in living the Christian life. Because very professionalized. You don't need everybody in the church involved. So what you what you develop is a paid minister and a bunch of spectators. Now, it, it looks to me like in the Bible, I think I'm right about this. The Lord gave the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter one, to empower 
believers to witness. And there's 120 in that upper room. 12 of them are apostles. That means nine out of 10 people in that upper room were not part of the apostolic ministry, but all of them were endued with power from on high to be God's witnesses. So what what that does is that now takes all 60 members of a church, all 300 members of a church, and makes them equally important and equally necessary to the work of evangelism in their town and beyond. And what that does is that that gives everybody something to do. It makes everybody... um, valuable and vital, and they don't all have to do the same thing. But one who's comfortable with older people in a more controlled setting can take on a nursing home service, and one who's very bold and outgoing can can take on a door-knocking ministry, and one who, who uh, you know, who's strong and able and, and enthusiastic can stand out there in the middle of that marketplace and, and let it rip, and, and one who's got a really rough background can use that now to go into the jails. And so um, uh, everybody, everybody, your retired uh, ladies can take their their kindness and their gentleness and have a good news club in a in a daycare or at a public school and so everybody gets to participate in this great incredible endeavor of proclaiming the gospel to the world and what it does it makes for as i said uh, for a church that is not a place full of of spectators watching one man or two people do their thing for the Lord, but a church full of people who are all participants in this this great commission, and it's it's exciting and it it's lively, and and it's effective. And the the leadership when it does its thing biblically, the goal is to is, is as pastors and teachers exposit the Word of God so that the saints are perfected and in turn get engaged in the work of the ministry as everybody gets involved. Now the body of Christ begins to be edified, and there's something for everybody to do. Yes, sir. Just sidelining the family of God so that a handful of uh, particularly gifted ministers can take care of everything. And to be honest with you, that's, that's probably the mentality that I was raised around in Southern Baptist churches where you have, well, I mean, you have pastors and deacons to take care of. Um, if there's, if there's a visit to be made, if there's somebody to be witnessed to, I mean, we have people that do that. Don't, you know, don't trouble, don't trouble me with such things. That's uh that's not really a biblical, a biblical approach. It's great that we have two deacons to make visits and it's great that we have a pastor to go out and, and call on somebody in the hospital and tell them about Jesus. But that limits the number of people who get to hear the gospel because those three or four men can only, let's say they did that full time. If that, if that pastor does his studying and his sermon prep and his prayer time and, and makes three or four visits a week, good for him. 
if those deacons after work uh, have two nights a week that they go door knocking for an hour or two, good for them. The vast majority of people in your town will die and go to hell without hearing the gospel if there's only sure. three three people trying to reach them. The work's too big for just a it, handful. It to is too big for just a handful to do. It's absolutely right. Now, I want to give you an example of of somebody getting saved in in not in our church at our church. I don't know what the right term is, but. Recently, we had a goodly number of people uh, baptized as believers who had trusted Christ as their Savior. I want to—I would take one for an example, and this is what we want for our town, and and this is what I would want for every town of everyone who's listening. So, a man gets up in the morning, and he's troubled. His marriage is falling apart. Maybe his health is bad. Um, he grew up Christian parents or at least moral parents, and he knows somewhere out there there's a God. He's just not sure how to get to him. Um, he knows if he dies, it's probably not going to end well, uh, but he, he's not sure what to do about it. So that man gets up in the morning, and he's driving to work, and the car in front of him has a, a sticker on the bumper that says, Jesus saves. Well, that's interesting. Never thought about that. He gets to work. And there's a co-worker that says, how you doing today? Ah, oh, not too good. I'm feeling bad. Yeah, you know, I used to have a lot of bad days until Jesus saved my soul. I tell you, there's nothing like being saved. Wow, how about that? So then the guy at lunch, he goes to get a sandwich. Somebody coming out of the sandwich shop says, hey, excuse me, can I give you something to read while you're on your lunch break? Gives him a gospel tract. He gets in the car on the way home after work. He's punching buttons on the radio or however car radios work nowadays. And as he's going up and down and stopping station to station to station, he hears some guy on there saying, I just want you to know that Jesus saves sinners. If you're listening to my voice right now, Jesus wants to save you. He turns the corner to head to his neighborhood, and there's somebody standing on that corner holding a sign that says, Jesus saves. Later that night, two, two kids, 119, 120, just out having a great time, knock on his door and say, sir, has anybody ever told you about Jesus and what Jesus wanted to do for you? Now, I'm condensing several months of this man's life into one day. So he's not sure, but he takes their literature and he says to himself, you know, it's Friday, come Sunday, I'm going to go to that church and visit. He gets to the church People were there early praying for God to send visitors and deal with their hearts. Somebody gets up and sings a song about Jesus saves. The preacher preaches a gospel message. That man walks the aisle and trusts Christ as his Savior. Now, let me ask you something. Who won that guy to Christ? Sure. The church sure. did. The Amen. church did. Not, not a door-knocking soul winner, not an evangelistic preacher. The church, everybody doing something for the Lord, made that man not only keep thinking about Jesus Christ, but just kept nudging him, nudging him, nudging him in that direction until finally he ends up at the foot of the cross. Well, who who... Who listening to that to that example that illustration? What Christian listened to that illustration doesn't think, man, that's how it ought to work. That's great. 
but it only works that way if we actually if 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 we become a part of the illustration if we actually uh, put ourselves out there and do our part yes sir it starts with the leadership the church leadership has to be on board in in far too many churches brother and i am not uh, brotherly you know me i i don't attack pastors i i don't undermine church leadership but you know and i know that in many of our churches, if a young man, a young lady, a family gets excited about evangelism, they will get hit with buckets of cold water. Uh, they, they will be ridiculed and criticized and, and, or, or shipped out to go off to a Bible school somewhere because they're going farther than the church leadership wants to go. That's a tragedy. It is a tragedy. It is a tragedy. The, the, the so, perceived threat of evangelistic zeal when it comes out of the pew. That's yes. a shame. Yes, but yeah. but we're brother, the far too many of our churches exist to exist. Right. Sure. Sure. E- everything is inward. Everything is focused on fellowship and uh, you know, let's get a group of grannies together and and go to the mall as a church outing and let's have a let's have a church picnic and let's have a family camp and I'm not against any of that stuff but if we're taking recreation time or rest time there ought to be something we're resting from <laughs> there ought to be there ought to be some kind of recovery and if all we're doing is resting we're going to look around one day and we're going to have a, a pastor as old as I am with a church, a dwindling congregation full of people as old as the pastor, wondering what went wrong. And what went wrong is this is not 1965. It is not part of the culture to go to church. You can't sit around and wait for people to come to church. They're not coming. People don't get up on Sunday morning these days and say, "Uh, honey, we need to have these kids in church. Let's go try another church this week. Let's keep looking until we find one that's really preaching the word of God. (laughs) That is not what people are doing. You got to go after them or your church is going to wither away and die. Brother James, normally our, our theme on this podcast is, is focused on foreign missions. And what we're describing right here though, is what we expect our missionaries to do on a foreign field. If they're not engaged in these kinds of things, why did we send them? If they're not engaged in these kinds of things, why would we support them? If they're not going to tell people about Jesus and then hopefully reproduce a local church there that can tell that can get a, a small army of people to tell people about Jesus. But hey, I mean, the idea is not just to pay somebody else to do the job on a foreign field. Um, we, we, it, the idea is reproduction. What are we? What is it that we're reproducing? We have, we've got a we've got a we've got a job to do locally, and we're not. The reason I wanted to have this conversation with you is that the Great Commission is not an either or proposition. It is a both and endeavor. It is we have not discharged our duty just because we gave some money to send a foreign missionary to a foreign field to do on that foreign field what we're neglecting to do. At our at home, so the Great Commission is not. We're not serious about the Great Commission if we're not serious about local evangelism. There's no way around it, brother. The Great now, Commission is not to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's Jerusalem. That's right. Then Judea, then Samaria, 
That's than right. the uttermost parts of the earth. Now, uh, honestly, brother, it, d- the southern United States ends at Jacksonville, <laughs> so we're we're kind of south of the south down here in in Deland. But in in the southern United States in Deland, Florida, we encounter people in their twenties who have never seen a Bible. We witness to people 20 years old who have never heard of Noah and the ark. They have never heard of David and Goliath. My, my wife was speaking to a group of, of elementary school children, and one of the children was agitated and, and tears in her eyes as my wife was speaking, uh, really, really troubled. And my wife turned the, 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 the little meeting over to another lady and called that child up and said, what's the matter? And she said, why do you keep using a dirty word? My and my wife God. said, what do you mean? And she said, you keep saying, and she whispered Jesus. And she said, why are you saying a cuss word? Brother, the... These are children in our towns and cities. All they know about Jesus is it's what mom or dad says when they're angry. So I'm all for sending missionaries to other parts of the world, but our towns are filled with people who don't know the first thing about God or the Bible. Nothing. So... We, we've got to start across the street. Well, I want to, uh, let me, let me tackle this whole question of effectiveness, fruitfulness, and what good it does from two different angles before we move on here in the conversation. One, one would be, you know, what good does it do? What fruit does it produce? You guys have been doing this long enough, faithfully and consistently enough that you have seen it produce some, some fruit. And sometimes, or, or have an effect, I'll, I'll, I'll put it that way, and sometimes in really surprising ways. So I, I know that, that there's been occasions, or at least an occasion, where the local paper actually has scripture on the front page of the paper, like the kind of, like the kind <laughs> of media coverage that you cannot purchase. It doesn't matter what your, what your budget is. Sure. Um, in 2016, you guys were, were on the street, Church Street in Orlando, preaching to some of the very people that were gunned down in a nightclub shooting there. They heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. They heard about judgment to come. They heard about a way of salvation before they met their maker. And I can think of at least uh, at least one couple in your church, and I realize it was a convergence of providential circumstances that brought them there. But I think about the Whitlands that are that are sitting in Bible Baptist Church today, and are such a blessing and such an integral part of the uh, regular ministry of the church that probably would not be there or not even be aware of the ministry if it were not for outreaches like local local radio and uh, public ministry. So you guys, you guys have seen some effect, uh, and sometimes in unexpected, in unexpected ways. Brother, many of our people that are involved in street preaching were led to Christ through our street preaching. 
Many of our people who are door knocking were led to Christ as a result of of door knocking. We have people in our church now who were saved in in the jails and in the prisons through our jail and prison ministry. All of it, all of it is effective, um, and yet at the same time, uh, I guess I guess here's here's the idea. Jesus, if you think about this, Jesus Christ in the parable of the sower told the people who would obey him to to expect a maximum result of 25%. (laughs) Right. I mean, you think about that. He said, I want you to go sow seed in three places where nothing's going to come of it. Now, (laughs) that's, that's really interesting when you think about it. He's not saying, I want you to do studies and calculate and find out where you'll be the most successful. He said, I want you to just put it out there. Put it out there, put it out there, put it out there. Um, radio is a great example. You, you, send, you, you spend the money, you buy the time, you put a radio broadcast together, it goes out over the airwaves, and millions of people with radios don't have them on. Millions of people with radios who have them on don't have them on a Christian station or the secular station where your program is aired. But you know what? One day, one day that guy has his radio on that station. We have a man right now, he's, he's been the uh, treasurer in our church for close to 20 years. He was driving in his truck to Louisiana, heard me preaching on the radio, and said, I wish that man lived in our town so my wife and I could go to that church, and got to the end of the program and said, that guy lives in my town. Amazing. But listen to this, brother, uh, biblically. At the time of Jesus' resurrection, there were at least 500 brethren. Well, that's pretty good, until you think that (laughs) God manifest in the flesh preach daily for three and a half years, and there's only 500 believers. Right. Now, right. how's that for results? Right. Out of the 500, only 120 were present for the prayer meeting. Out of the 120, there were 70 disciples. Out of the 70 disciples, there were 12 sent ones to preach. Three of those were intimate, Peter, James, and John. And there was one close enough to lay his head upon Jesus' bosom and hear his heartbeat. Sure. It's not about results or numbers. It's about honoring the Lord and doing what the Lord asks to do. But let's go back to what you said earlier. Brother, we have clippings going back to, to the late 1980s. Here is a man campaigning for governor. In the background is somebody holding the scripture sign. Here's a here's a protest against um, uh, f- in favor of um, of the rights for immigrants, and standing on the steps of the courthouse behind the speakers is somebody with a scripture sign. Here, but I mean it's just time after time after time. You think of people riding through town saying, "Look at the we got all these people." Oh, I'm going to stand get my picture made besides this beside this crazy preacher, and they do. <laughs> and they send yeah. it to all the, send it to all their friends. Sure. Well, now everybody that didn't get to go on spring break 
is getting a picture from their friend who went to spring break with a sign that says you must be born again. (laughs) So so the, the mockers and the scoffers are helping us spread the gospel. I met a man, I was preaching in a, in a church in Virginia, and he walked up and he said, you don't know me, but I owe you a real debt of gratitude. And I said, why is that? And he said, uh, X number, many, many years ago, I was at a race in Daytona and one of your church people gave me a gospel tract. And I took that thing home and read it and got saved. And now I'm a member of this church uh, met another man out uh, preaching somewhere and said that uh, somebody witnessed to him on the boardwalk in Daytona Beach when he was on vacation, and years later he got saved. Um, brother, we, we, we've been out for I don't know how many years um, preaching in the middle of bike week in Daytona Beach. What a, what a, a load, oh, <laughs> low-down place that is. Yeah, you know, you know who used to ride their motor. You wouldn't, you wouldn't believe this. You know who used to ride their motorcycle down that street during Bike Week? Steve, Steve, and Laura Holt. No way. Yes, yes, brother. So now serving the Lord in West Africa as missionaries to to seeing Muslims converted. Yeah, (laughs) Hallelujah. Now look. So here's the thing. The door you knock on today, maybe the guy doesn't get saved. The tract you give out today, maybe the person doesn't get saved. The event you at which you preach the gospel, maybe nobody gets saved. But brother, how many people do you know that got saved the first time somebody witnessed to sure. them? Not sure. many, not many, sure. but it's a contributing factor to their, to their coming to the Lord. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and we're not the, our, our, our responsibility is not to do all the soil testing. It's to sow the seed and trust that that seed is going to bring forth fruit wherever it finds good soil. Brother, wait, 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 no, you're talking about the seed. I always think about those fowls of the air picking up the seeds. Well, you know, some of those seeds go through those birds and land other places <laughs> with, with fertilizer. We got a sure. call here to the church one morning. I mean, this woman was freaked out. She was. She said, I think God's, God's trying to get me. What are you talking about? She is riding down Interstate 65 in Indiana with her sunroof open in her car. Something hit her, flew in her sunroof and hit her and landed in her lap. And she picked it up and it, it was a tract said, where will you spend eternity? And it, it had our church address on it. Somebody, listen, somebody had given out a tract. It was thrown on the ground. The wind <laughs> picked that tract up and blew it across the road into her car. And I called a pastor that lived in that area. He went to her house and led her to the Lord. <laughs> now, now you talk about who, who said, well, let's just give somebody a track that's going to throw it away on the ground. Nothing will ever come of that, but something did come of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, one, one more angle on this. And I, and I, I believe that I've heard you make reference to this. Maybe I can get a, a, a witness from you on, on when it comes to fruitfulness, when it comes to effectiveness, we, it is not that we go out in these evangelistic endeavors 
with the objective of filling our church. The goal is not primarily to recruit new church members to put warm bodies in the pew. If that is a result of our efforts, then praise the Lord. We're simply trying to sow the seed and to be faithful. Now, with that said, with that said, if you get front page coverage from a verse on salvation out of John three, because you're in the right place at the right time for a campaign event or for something else, praise the Lord. That's not the thing that's going to fill the pews at the Bible Baptist church. With that said, You've got a you've got a thriving church there. You've got a growing church there. We've got a thriving church here in Middle Tennessee, a growing church. But if you look at the composition of of your church and there and our church here, most of the people that came did not come by way of the radio ministry. Most people that came did not come by way of receiving a tract. They most of them didn't hear a a gospel preacher on a street corner. Most of them can't explain why exactly they ended up there, and yet they ended up there. And the point I'm trying to make is that Jesus Christ said, I will build my church. Absolutely. And I believe that churches that are faithful in these kinds of endeavors may not see a uh, fruit always as a direct result of their efforts. But when God sees a church that he can entrust with the gospel a lot of times he'll send people to those church to those kinds of churches that are completely unaware of some of the outreach e- efforts because he knows that he can trust those churches with more people because of their faithfulness in these other areas does that does that make sense that's that's absolutely been our experience we have had people show up on sunday morning and we ask did somebody invite you no uh, how would you come to be here i really don't know <laughs> they, right. they, they really don't know how they, they they weren't even intending to come to church that morning. And so we've had a lot of that. We also have people who, uh, brother, they, they are really wanting to be in a place where they are encouraged to serve the Lord and have opportunities to serve the Lord, but they aren't quote-unquote called to preach. In most churches, if you aren't called to preach, there's nothing for you to do. And if you are called to preach, there's still nothing for you to do because there's already a preacher. So so we've got to send you out, and that's a whole other topic for conversation for some other day. What we have is we have way too many churches with way too many pastors because men are trying to pastor churches who would have been great prison ministers, but there wasn't an opportunity. They would have been great door-knocking evangelists, but there wasn't an opportunity. So they're doing the only thing they were told was available for them to do, and they're dying. Their family's dying. Their church is dying but they didn't know there was more than more than one way that you could serve the Lord. And everybody can serve the Lord in this, this work of evangelism. Now, you went back to church growth, and I, uh, I, I want to say this to encourage some people that are listening that are, that are they're getting started or they're, uh, they're trying to restart a church that's kind of, kind of withered away. 
1985, in downtown DeLand on Friday afternoons, I stood preaching down there with a a brother named Chuck Nunley. And for a year or two, there's two guys standing there preaching on a street corner. We started the church in 1987 with 10 people. And from, from there, it has grown to several hundred people, not counting the pastors we've sent out, the assistant pastors we've sent out, the missionaries that we've sent out, uh, all the people that we've led to the Lord that have moved away and, and gone to other places. I mean, we have tremendous turnover because of economic reasons and, and, and things of that nature. When the, the economy collapsed in 2008, we had over 100 church members move away because they couldn't find work. So so over the course of 30-some years, we have seen so many people saved, discipled, grounded in the faith, some still with us, some other places, some serve in the Lord in other areas. So let, let's just take at present. If, if, if there was a business in our town that started with 10 and now was over 300. That, that, that percentage growth cannot be matched by anybody but maybe Amazon or Facebook. <laughs> right. right. That's I a mean, successful business. Yes, sir, brother. Now, so this idea that it doesn't do any good, you're just driving people away, that's not so. The first, the first public event we went to uh, was a, was a, uh, as a as this church was a Christmas parade, and you guys listening, people are sitting lining the streets of your town for an hour waiting to get a picture of their Cub Scout walking by. They're bored out of their mind. They got nothing to do. Walk up and down those streets and give those people gospel tracks. They're, they're in a good mood. It's holiday time. They're, they're going to take them. It's great. So, so that, first, that first year, there were, I think, four of us, and we ran out of tracks. We got overwhelmed. This past year, we sent teams of people more people than we needed at each event to work Christmas parades in 16 different cities. Wow. You know why? Because we took some people out there and showed them it was a blessing. It was fun. It was something you could do for Jesus. And that attracts other people who want to do something for Jesus, but never knew you could do that. (laughs) Sure. And I Amen. guess that's that's just kind of always been my thing before I was saved and after I got saved, well let's let's do it now for the Lord. Hey guys, let's try this. Sure. If you can do that for the devil, let's do it for Jesus. And and so we if there's if there's a legitimate righteous way to spread the gospel, we have we have tried to use legitimate righteous ways to spread the gospel and I I want the people in our town, the unsaved people to say, oh yeah, that church. I don't want them to say, never heard of that church. 
the guy, the guy that is tired of drinking, I want him to know where he can go and stop drinking because he knows a guy that used to drink with him that's now a religious fanatic down there at Bible Baptist of Deland. I want the person that's fed up with doing drugs to know, you know, there's a woman down there at that church was as messed up as I am, and I know her life is different. Let me try it. So that that's the idea is, is making Christ known, you know, and, and people that go back to that thing about driving people away and, and so forth. You know, in the book of Acts, the unbelievers, it says, and of the rest durst no man join himself unto them. The lost people in that town were afraid of the Christians. They were scared to go to that place because they knew it would radically change their lives. Yes, now, sir. brother, every town in America needs a church with that kind of reputation. Absolutely. If, if you're not serious about living for Jesus, you don't want to go down there because those people are fanatics, man. Amen. Shouldn't Amen. we be? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We should be. Now, Contrary to, to popular belief, <laughs> we can't make the people in our church dress a certain way. We can't make them go out and witness. We can't make them. St- I, I wish we were who the talent. I, I wish I had the, the uh, influence that the lost people in our town think I have. Right. But isn't it a blessing that the college students in the university in our town know if you go to that church, you're not going to dress like we dress. You're not, you're not going to go the places we go. You're not going to do the things we do. Now, that, that did not come about from anything we're doing in church because those people don't come to our church. It came about because our church has taken their Christianity to those people in such a way that they know what we believe and why we believe it and what it's what it's done for us and to us. That's what a church is supposed to do in a town. They're supposed to know what Christianity is without coming to the church. Amen. That's why the Great Commission is is it starts with this this fantastic two-letter word go. <laughs> Not just come, but go. The responsibility to go begins at the doors of the church, your church, my church, and the preaching of the gospel should take place wherever we may be located. We didn't spend much time today discussing techniques for local outreach or philosophy of public ministry. The object today was simply to emphasize the duty of every believer to sow the seed of the Word of God in their Jerusalem. If a church or pastor isn't favorable to or comfortable with a particular method of public ministry, there should be something they can find to do to sow the seed of the gospel wherever they may be. We don't all have to do the same things in the same ways, but we must all do something. What good does it do? Well, the truth is that the good has already been done, and the world desperately needs to know about the good accomplished by the Lord Jesus Christ on behalf of sinners. 
But more specifically, you might just be surprised at what would be accomplished if individual Christians and Bible-believing local churches were more serious about sowing the seed of the Word of God. The Lord made clear that there is fruit to be had, some 30, some 60, some 100-fold. And for churches that take local outreach and evangelism seriously, that zeal and interest will inevitably spill over into interregional, international, cross-cultural evangelism and discipleship. Join us next time for the conclusion of this interview with Brother James Knox as we talk about how their local efforts did just that, from sending audio recordings around the world to coordinating teams for the reestablishment of a local Bible-believing church in an ancient Greek city. Thanks again for tuning into the program today. You can subscribe to this program wherever you receive your podcasts. And if it's been a blessing to you, please feel free to invite others to tune in. I welcome your feedback. You can contact me, Brother Lee, by email at greatcommissionconversations at gmail.com. Until next time, let's do what we can to preach the gospel in our Jerusalem as well as the regions beyond.